day. This is what Dwight Eisenhower said. Freedom has its life in hearts, the actions, the spirit of men, and so it must be daily earned, refreshed, else like a flower cut from its life-giving roots, it'll wither and die. So it's good for us to be reminded of these things, amen? It's good for us to be reminded of uh, the purposes and the plans that God had for America. How many believe that America is a blessed country? Anybody in here? And that when America was birthed, it was God's dream and God's idea. And actually, that's one of the things that sets us apart from other nations is this idea that's in the hearts of most Americans that we are part of God's plan, that we're part of God's divine dream. And uh, this is uh, just some thoughts here. Fundamentally, if there's one thing that has been traditionally what makes America unique in the world, it's this idea that we as Americans have a special relationship with God. So Dan Cox, he's a research director for the Public Religion Relations Institute, which studied the subject. He said this, we believe that we are supposed to make a difference and that we're sort of the first among equals in the world. And it goes back to the, pre, pre, the pilgrims, really. This idea that God birthed America, that he put calls on unique individuals to explore and to push out and to pursue and to come to America with a dream that was in the heart of God from a long, long time ago. 83% of evangelicals believe that, that America has a specific call and a special call. And I don't know about you, I, I'm, I'm proud to be citizens of two dual citizenship. One is the kingdom of God. Anybody with me this morning? Aren't you glad that you're born again and you've been brought into the kingdom? The other one I'm grateful for, that I'm a citizen of this country. And I've had the privilege of traveling, I don't know, 25-some nations, and most of those are developing nations. And every time I come back, I'm grateful for what God has blessed us with here. Amen? And so as we are putting this service together, there's some temptation to, what, what, uh, to talk about this morning. We can certainly talk about America has maybe drifted from our roots. 63% believe America has drifted off course from our original call and purpose. So we could unpack that and spend time just dealing with maybe the, wo the woes, the problems that are in our culture and have divided us. But as uh, several weeks ago now, actually it's, it's been a couple months ago when I was praying even about today and this weekend, just what was so strong in my heart was not so much to focus on the ills, and certainly there has been, or our, our problems in our history and our past, certainly there's been a bunch of those, but really what's been in my heart for this morning is just to be grateful to God for what he's blessed us with. And, and it, it might even sound a little cheesy, but this thing about make America grateful again has been in my heart. Because I, I feel what's crept into the church and in the culture is, you know, I, I, I think it's probably increased. You've seen it. You've sensed it in the media, our divisiveness, our nitpicking back and forth, the criticism that goes on. I feel what's departed, in a sense, from the church is just a sense of gratefulness to God, just thanksgiving to God for what he's blessed us with, where we've been allowed to live, where I've been allowed to grow and to prosper and to learn about him. And so if you would leave with anything this morning, I just pray as we go forward, just unpack things a little further and look at some scriptures that God will build and renew and the Holy Spirit will regenerate in you, hopefully a greater appreciation for the freedoms we still enjoy, the freedoms we still have, and God's divine destiny for our country and the church in this country. Anybody with me this morning? And so let me ask you something. 
do you, do you really appreciate how blessed we are in the United States of America? Do you really appreciate it? I don't know sometimes if, if I really do, but John, John D. Morris, he, he's the founder of Creation Research Institute. He just paints a broad picture of America and its purposes, and he says, during this season of national introspection, even as we sing, God bless America, it would be good to step back and remember the many ways in which God has indeed blessed America. The land we call America is quite large, one of the largest nations in the world. It, uh, with abundant natural resources, and we're bounded by two oceans, rich with marine life and fisheries. In addition, the abundance of natural harbors and ports gives us shipping access to the whole world. America contains extensive woodlands providing lumber in which to build and rich topsoil in which a wide variety of crops flourish, capable of feeding our population here as well as millions around the world. Minerals are here, from gypsum to iron and gold. Precious metals undergirding a diverse industrial complex. Even the stone is good, testified by enduring granite and limestone monuments and building facades. The climate is most agreeable. Although varying from place to place, all sections of the country are livable and productive. If you like the colors of the chains of seasons, or the southern beaches, or the barrel cactuses of the desert, there's a place for you to reside in America. Rainfall is most often sufficient in giving life to a great diversity of plants and animals, as well as providing the most necessary ingredient for civilization to flourish. There's lots of oil and natural gas and coal that's been discovered here, which have fueled our industrialized economy. More modern fuels like uranium and wind and geothermal abound here as well. And there's grandeur in the scenery with unending opportunities to explore the majestic mountains, to raft the river canyons, or ride the pounding waves. Native people living here are melded with a rich diversity of immigrants into the American people, renowned for their work ethic and burning desire to carve out a good life for themselves and for their children. Although some of our history is marred by abuse and human tragedy, by and large, our ancestors were honest people, respectful of the rights and values of others. And perhaps above all, those who forged our nation's documents and laws were God-fearing people with a basic Christian outlook on life and morals and government which set the course for maintaining the freedoms we now take for granted. Consider the charter of our nation the Declaration of Independence, where it can be read that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it has been shown that while not all the founding fathers were born again Christians, they acknowledged the truthfulness of the Bible and the authority of the creator over his creation. And they applied these concepts to the legislative process, the judicial system, and the standards for our life. And as they concurred, the system of government is designed for a Christian people. It's wholly inadequate for any other. And so you can see from the foundation, the blessings of a nation that we've got to enjoy. I don't know about you. I've, I was employed in the marketplace. I've, I've had just opportunities to travel. I think I've been to 47 of the states. We certainly have a blessed, blessed, blessed country. Amen? And I, I'm grateful for it as well. That uh, So, I, you know... I don't know how God figures this out, where certain people are going to be born. Do you ever think about that? I still remember several years ago being on a country road in Cambodia and looking over at one of these little 
fish houses, and they're raised on, they're on poles, and they're just above the intertidal zone where the rice paddies are. But underneath them, there's these hammocks, and this Cambodian guy was just laying there in the middle of the day. I still remember going by him and thinking this thought. So I wonder what he thinks about all day. It looks pretty peaceful sometimes, really, just to chill under a, a, a fish house, although it's super humid there. But I, w- I wondered what he thinks about, and then I started thinking about how God chooses where we get to live and raised. And I don't know about you, I'm grateful for that. I, I was born not in a malaria-infested jungle or in a Kurdish refugee camp or on a Laotian rice paddy or in North Korea or Siberia. I was not born under communism or Sharia law or the confines of a caste system. I was born in Ohio, and we migrated to California when I was four years old. I grew up in a very middle-class family with loving parents. I had a room I shared with two brothers, my own shelves in the closet, a backyard and a wooden fort. A stingray bicycle was converted from a girl's bike, and so I still have a wound over that. my, my twin brother got the boy's bike, and I got the girl's bike. But anyway, I had my own bed, my own pillows, clean clothes, a couple pairs of shoes, meatloaf and casseroles. Anybody grew up on meatloaf and casseroles? A dog named Lucky, a Catholic education, a, a black and white TV, a wooden fishing boat with a five-horsepower motor, and a healthy group of friends that played every form of outdoor sports available. And we built a neighborhood wiffle ball court at the, at, the high, at the local school there, and I still remember the fence was just far enough so once in a while I could get a home run. And I was part of the privileged middle class, and I'm grateful for that. How about you? And there was no bombs being dropped in my neighborhood. There's no drug dealers on the corners. There's no famine, no children being abducted, or teenage girls being kidnapped into trafficking. My friends' parents were not dying of AIDS. Our power worked 99.9% of the time. We had fresh water coming in through our plumbing, and the Helms bread truck cruised through the neighborhood. You could buy donuts right in front of your house. Pretty good deal, right? Anybody remember the Helms bread truck? And we had a milkman. They cruised our neighborhood in the mornings, and in the summer, the ice cream truck bell came dinging around the streets. Anybody remember that? I I was part of the privileged American middle class, and I am grateful. This was America. I'm grateful for in the America I was born in. And my best middle class friends, Scott was a second-generation Italian. He was the son of a house painter. And Jose was a second-generation Mexican, the son of a brick mason. And their moms were great cooks, and that provided a savory departure from meatloaf once in a while. (laughs) And this is what I remember, and I still can see it clearly. I remember a few times in the sacred silence of St. Joachim's Church, thinking about where I was born, giving thanks to God for my parents and those things I've been blessed with because we were taught to be grateful. And uh, I don't know, maybe you weren't so fortunate Maybe your home life wasn't so good. Maybe there was turmoil. Maybe there was challenges. And I I, I don't want to minimize anyone's pain this morning, but I just want to shine a little perspective on it. I'm sorry that slide's a little hard to read, but if you have food in your fridge and clothes on your back and a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the 7 billion people in the world. If you have money in the bank, your wallet, and some spare change, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health and illness, you're more blessed than a million people who will not survive the week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle or the agony of imprisonment or torture 
or the horrible pangs of starvation. You're more fortunate than 500 million people caught up in this suffering. If you can read this message, you're more fortunate than 3 billion people in the world who cannot read at all. So sometimes, I don't know about you, I take for granted what I have in America. I take for granted what I've been blessed with here. And this morning, I just want to say, God, I'm grateful. I'm thankful to you. I'm thankful to you for what you blessed us with. Amen? The United States, out of 7 billion people in the world and all the countries of the world, the United States has 41.6% of the personal wealth. We're 5% of the population, yet we have been blessed with and are stewards over and are responsible for 41.6% of the world's wealth. China, with over a billion people, has 10%, and Japan, 8.9%, and the UK, 5.6%, and you can see it going from there. But even for the size of our population, the size of our country, we have four times more wealth than China, which is the largest nation competing with India right now for wealth. We've been blessed, and we've been called to be stewards over that and grateful for that and to use it for good things, amen? Because that's still part of the calling, I believe, that God raised up America for. We're still the, the, the largest mission-sending country in the world. We're, we're responsible for getting the gospel out. We're first responders when there's disaster. We're first responders when there's the, the people that are being abused or injustices around the world. We've been first responders to go and, re, and to make a difference in those areas. We have a call on our country. We've been blessed for it. Amen? And I'm grateful for that. How about you? We've got our stuff. You know, we, we, we have a hard time finding housing for the homeless, but we don't have any problem building storage containers for our stuff. And so we're one of the few countries in the world where we, we have to buy and rent other garages to hold our stuff. We've been blessed. We've got our toys. We, we spend $646 billion in total annual consumer spending on outdoor recreation. $646 billion. That's a lot of bucks on toys, but I'm grateful for toys. How about you? No guilt this morning. Anybody grateful this morning that God's blessed us and allowed us to even enjoy some of those things? We got our toys. We've got our hobbies. The, the, the hobbies from collecting things to hunting to motorcycling to I, I have friends that save money to go backpacking in Patagonia to you know, just, just our hobbies paint a picture of the blessed life that we have as Americans traveled again and, like I said, in mostly developing countries, and it's hard to even ask them about hobbies. It would be a hard question to say to some of the Cambodian guys, or when we were in India, to the Indians, what's your hobby? What do you spend your extra time on? Or what do you spend your extra money on? That question in, in part of the world would just bring confusion. What do you mean a hobby? What do you mean extra money? What do you mean doing something beside my routine? It's unique. But in America, if we went around this room, there's quilters and there's hikers and there's mountain bikers and the road bikers and there's fishermen in this group and there's people that are saving stamps and silver and all kinds of different stuff. We've been blessed with the abundance to even have hobbies for our enjoyment. I don't know about you, there's no guilt in this room this morning. I'm just grateful, grateful, grateful to God. Anybody with me this morning? How about our entertainment? Average family spends $2,482 on entertainment. That's 200 bucks a month on Netflix and all the other stuff that we just get to enjoy. 
We've been a blessed country and a blessed people. And yet I look back and there's, there's a warning in Scripture about some of these things. And, and I guess it's tied into gratitude because God's people, Israel, had the same challenge as we did. God said, I'm going to bring you into a good land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And you're going to live in houses that you didn't build, and you're going to harvest in fields that you didn't plow. And, and there, there was this promise to the people of Israel when they came into a place of blessing. And this is what God said to them and encouraged them. And he said, therefore, oh, I'm sorry, only in America. I forgot that guy. How do you get a giraffe like that? I think they took him from the savannas of Africa, and they bring him here and give him supersized meals, and uh, that's what happened to giraffes. Sorry, I forgot that was in there. So this is, what, this is what God says on a serious note. He said, I got a couple other passages to add to that. He said, therefore, you should keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God's bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of waters and fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Sounds like a pretty good place, amen? And land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity, in which you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for good land which he's given you. He said, when you've eaten in full, this is what you should do. You should just bless God for it. He didn't put any guilt on that. He said, I'm bringing you to that place. This is my heart as father. I want to bring you into that place. But when you get in that place and you look around and recognize God's goodness and you recognize his faithfulness and you recognize where you came from, and I know some of you have came from some places, and, and he says, when you look back and you see how far I bought you, then just as what you're called to do, just give thanks to God. And be grateful for, to God for how he's blessed you. Amen? And then verse 11, it's a warning. Be, beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commands or his judgments or his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them and your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied. So your 401k is doing well, and all that you have is multiplied. And when your heart's lifted up, you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land and flinty rock, and how he fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to, good, to good, do good to you in the end. In verse 17, 8, 17 says, And then you say in your heart, My power and my might of my hand have gained this wealth. It's just this, a divine warning that says, Don't forget the source. Don't forget where the goodness has come from. Don't forget how God delivered you. Don't forget how God's helped you out. And when I think about, again, the theme for today, it's, to me, it's thank you, God, 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 for how you've blessed us. Amen? This is something John Ortberg wrote. He's pastor's uh, First Presbyterian Church in the Bay Area there, and he said this, the bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. And so, likewise, this idea, gratitude always involves a posture of humility, if I believe I'm owed something, I'll not be thankful for it because I think I'm entitled to it. And if you just give me a car for no reason at all, I'll be overwhelmed with gratitude. I'll say, thank you. I can't believe how good you are to me. 
But if I pay the fair market value for the car, and when you hand me the keys, I'd say, well, that's fine, okay, but I won't say thank you for the incredible gift. I'm overwhelmed because I bought it. I'm owed it. Well, the sinful human race is naturally entitled. We believe our gifts rightfully belong to us, and the more we think we're entitled to, often the, often the less we will be grateful for we wonder, why do people who keep getting more and more show less and less gratitude? The bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. My sinful mind can sometimes convince me I'm entitled to anything I want. And if I don't get something I want, other people must be messing up. They owe me and they ought to pay me. That has led to a proliferation of lawsuits. We don't even get something we really want. We just sue somebody. Listen to this. Our San Francisco Giants were sued a few years ago for passing out Father's Day gifts to men only. A psychology professor sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of mistletoe at the Christmas party. A psychic was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. Now, that's kind of crazy. I think if you're a psychic, how come you didn't know that before you went in for the CAT scan? <laughs> And, and, and this sense of entitlement that I'm owed something, I'm owed something, I'm owed something, it deteriorates from just that attitude of gratitude that we, as people of faith with a biblical worldview, look to God and say, thank you, God, from whom all good things come. Thank you, God, for taking care of me. Thank you, God, for blessing me. Amen? Amen. Scripture warns us again, in the last days... Perilous times will come and men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boasters and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Read the yellow with me. Unthankful and unholy. It's one of the conditions of culture. It's a condition that can slip into the church that in the last days as we become self-focused, we forget about the one who's blessed us, the one who is really has entitled us with every good and perfect gift, Scripture says. Again, the... the the letter to Romans, chapter 1, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that's the invisible attributes of God and who he is, they're clearly seen in creation, being understood by the things which are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that we're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. Read the yellow with me. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. And I could go on again. You could do a Bible study, just ongoing Bible study about warnings about ingratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. And uh, I, I just know again through, you know, we, we went through book of Exodus a while ago that God's not big on murmuring. He, he, he's not a big murmurer. And we just spent a week, a uh, few days at Hume Lake, our son and daughter, and, our son-in-law and daughter there over the uh, junior high at New Life. And so they had a bunch of new lifers running around there. And Jan and I went to take care of uh, just three little grandkids. And it's fun when they're fun, man. We played and swam in the cove, and they learned new tricks, and we had a blast. But I tell you what, when they all get whiny at the same time, I mean, this is three kids. I, I could see with God, seven billion getting whiny. I'd hit the fire and brimstone switch a long, long time ago. That, that whininess, and, and most of us, we're prone to it. We'll, we, we'll go there and just our whininess and our complaining, and certainly there's stuff that happens, and certainly things and challenges come to us. 
But overall, for us to cultivate a heart of gratitude and a thankfulness to God. Gratitude is the heart issue, and thankfulness is the expression of that. But for you and me as the people of God, we should be thankful, grateful people. Amen? Oh, this is an ouch hallelujah, and I'm almost done. So look, at if you read Deuteronomy 28, it's a powerful, powerful chapter where God goes through and sets out the blessings for following, the blessings for heeding his counsel, the blessings of obedience, and then at the end of Deuteronomy, he gives you the buts. But if you don't, but if you turn, but if you rebel, but if you continue to go in your own way, he, he lays out the consequences and this one to me has always struck me. It puts me in check. He says this, because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. Say that with me. The abundance of all things. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies who the Lord will send against you. And I think sometimes those enemies come in the form of just a constant dissatisfaction. Sometimes those enemies come and like, it doesn't matter how much I have or how much I get, I'm never satisfied. I'm always restless. I'm always wanting more. Scripture calls it lust. It's desire out of control. And it's just not a lust for sexual pleasure, but if we're not careful, we get turned over to that dissatisfied feeling, that hollowness on the inside that can't be satisfied. It's more adrenaline and more stuff and more things and it gnaws at us and it eats at us and it can't be filled. And God said, if you don't learn how to cultivate a heart of gratitude, you get turned over to an enemy that makes our life restless, keeps us from a sense of contentment. He said, that you'll serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and in thirst and nakedness, gosh, and in lacking everything. For the abundance of all things, you didn't give thanks. And now he said, there's a progression where you're going to lack everything. And then he, God, puts a yoke of iron on your neck, and he'll destroy you. That's strong from a God that we believe is good. But a God is so good that he wants that purge from the hearts of his people. That we're constantly whining or complaining or live in that sense of ingratitude. or I've, It's my power, my ability that's gotten me all that and our heart strays from just thankfulness and gratefulness to God. I know, you know, when Jan and I got married and we looked forward at our life and the things we needed, one thing I've tried to include, and, and I, I miss it, and I, I mess up, but I know this. Years ago, God, just in prayer and reading through Psalms, I just saw and discovered the thought that in the truth that thankfulness is really and gratefulness is the key to more in the kingdom of God. Just not more physical things or more material things, but gratefulness and thankfulness helps connect me to God, helps keep my relationship vibrant and alive. Just like our relationship in marriage, when, when I'm grateful, when I'm thankful, it, it binds us together, it brings us together. But I'm whiny and complaining and grumpy and all that other stuff. There, there's a distance that comes. Gratitude's important, amen? And that's what I'm grateful to be an American. How about you? Anybody with me this morning? Generally, you'll find people that have come, like uh, Mihai, the family, they're immigrated from Romania, and he and I had conversation about the liberties here and the move towards socialism in our country, and he said the same thing. I don't know why people would embrace that or want that when they have the freedoms that we enjoy. Amen? Well, let's wrap it up. Come on, read this with me. Come on. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Many people want to know what's God's will for you. Well, here's one of them. Be grateful in the things you're going through. Rejoice always. Pray continually. It's the will of God for you and me. Come on, read this one with me. Make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So somebody said it this way, happiness does not result in gratitude. Gratitude results in happiness, and gratitude is a choice. Amen? Being grateful is a choice. You can't see this. I threw it in there. You can do a little internet research, but this is just different ways that you benefited through gratitude. He do a little graphic here. Go ahead and look at it online, but I tell you what, just developing a heart of gratitude affects you, impacts you in every realm. Emotionally, in your personality, in your health, in your career, socially, uh, just being grateful is a key to just better living. And so that's a whole other message. Steve Hinton, here's five classes you can do in your leadership school right there on uh, developing a heart of gratitude. Amen? And let's just close with this, the high cost of freedom. And one thing we do and commemorate on this day is those that have served. There's been 48 million people who've served since the foundations of our country. Over a million, 1.1 million have given their lives for that. One more time, if you served in our military, could you please stand up today? We'd like to honor you, men and women who have served. Thank you again. Thank you again for your service to our country. And uh, amen. This week when I was away, I picked up a book off the bookshelf. It was called Fearless. And it's a story of Adam Brown who became a Navy SEAL. He gives his testimony growing up a pretty normal uh, small town life and uh, he was a hard charger in sports and pretty active that way. And a little guy, like if you ever seen the movie Rudy, he said he equated his life to Rudy on the football team. He, he showed up small, but he would hit big. And so pretty soon he found himself on varsity. But after high school years, he departed, went into a life, got hooked into drugs and all kinds of stuff, and was really in a downward spiral when his choice was military or his choice was prison. And some good friends came and talked him into signing up for the Navy. But he's an all-or-nothing guy. And so he said, if I'm going to be in the Navy, I'm going for the top. And he pursued being a Navy SEAL. And so diligently, and, and just reading it and reading the text, and the workouts, the tryouts, the basic camp, the special training, the special ops, the things he's going through. In one of the training exercises, he got one of his eyes knocked out by a paintball in practice round. They said, you're done, but his Christian faith kicked in, and he said, I'm not done. I'm still going to become a Navy SEAL. He learned to shoot with the other eye. Then he was in a Humvee accident, rolled over. His hand was outside when it rolled over, and it literally squeezed his three fingers off. But they put his fingers back on, but he, he couldn't shoot with that hand, so he had to learn to shoot with a different eye and aim with a different uh, arm, and he still pursued his dream, and by the help of God, the grace of God, and his faith in God, he became part of the Navy SEAL Team 6 that took out Osama bin Laden. He wasn't part of that because, unfortunately, as a family man raising a son and daughter, he was killed in a firefight in Afghanistan. But the amazing part of the book, and it's a great read, and it's a pretty quick read, the amazing part of the book is the tributes the guys gave him about character, about his faith in God, about his sacrifice, about his service. It brought me a whole other appreciation of the men and women who are on the lines, even today as we sit here, praying the price for our freedom. Because I don't know about you, the cynicism that can creep into our country and our government about the military. I'm, I'm not a big war guy. 
I'm not a big war guy. I've seen the effects of it in Cambodia and young men running around because of the mines with blown off limbs. And I'm not a big war guy, but I tell you what, reading this gave me a deeper appreciation for the service and what's going on around the world now. And you and me should be praying for them, amen? Encouraging them and uh, giving thanks to God for the price that's been paid for our freedom. In closing, says, only two defining forces have ever offered to die for you, Jesus Christ and the American soldier. One died for your soul, and the other died for your freedom. And could you stand with me, and we're going to end it right here. This high cost of freedom, there's the physical freedom that we enjoy and the rights and privileges that we enjoy, and, but, but there's another freedom that Jesus paid for. There's another freedom that he paid the ultimate cost for you and me. And our last scripture here, it says this from Romans, since we were utterly helpless, Romans 5, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, no, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Verse 9, and since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in your wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What a powerful promise. Amen. The, the, the ultimate sacrifice, he gave his life for you and me. The truth is, if you read your Bible, Scripture said your righteousness and my righteousness apart from Christ are as filthy rags. I can't earn a right relationship with God. It's not a good thing, bad thing that God weighs out in the end, hopefully have more good works than bad works. That's not how salvation works. See, he's a holy God, a perfect God. In order to come to him, you, you, you need to be in that same state. And he, what he did, he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to die that you might have my righteousness, that your sins would be wiped away, not by your own doing, but by the sacrifice of his own blood on the cross from the beginning of time. They said life is in the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so he had to come and pay the price and shed blood that that sacrifice might purchase for us a righteousness that's not our own doing. So today, when God looks at me, when he looks at you, if you're born again, if you know Jesus as Savior, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my mistakes. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and I'm so grateful, grateful for that. Anybody in here? Because if he looked at Mike Sparrow, he would push that Firestone and Brimstone button. If, if he looked at my past, if he looked at my life, I would be one of those guys. He'd push the button, and I'd be fried and toast up here on the platform. But I stand before you guys. I stand before him, not in my own righteousness, but what Jesus purchased by his blood, the high cost of freedom.